Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. A gimme call, we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So good evening to you guys. Delighted to be here with you. And uh, we're going to jump right into it, uh, jump right into the calls you guys are lining up. Happy to be here in our new studio. Uh, the guys at Ultraspeed Technologies have worked hard over the past couple months to uh, build out a studio specifically for and tailored to the Ask Noah Show. So we hope you appreciate uh, a little bit more polish and uh, and we have an, a couple surprises for you coming up throughout the show. But before we get started, I, I think we I think we'd be remiss if we didn't just take a, a few moments um, to acknowledge the tragedy that has occurred in Las Vegas, Nevada. So our thoughts and prayers are with the family of the victims. And, um, you know, there's Las Vegas is a big town and they um, they have a lot of medical senators, <laughs> medical centers, but they are not equipped to deal with, uh, you know, the mass uh, amount of casualties that they're suffering. And so. Um, they're hurting real bad out there, and uh, you guys definitely have, uh, you know, you're definitely in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, with that said, though, uh, let's jump to Micah from Alabama. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. How's it going? Excellent. How can we help? I'm actually a multiple-time caller now. Um, so I upgraded from Fedora 25 to Fedora 26. And uh, it all seemed smooth. Um, of course, when I booted in for the first time, the resolution was really low and stuff like that. But it appeared that my graphics drivers were not running. Um, I tried opening the NVIDIA settings. I have a GTX 1060. And so I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to get them running. So I tried to do a you know, fresh reboot of my computer after the fresh uh, upgrade to 26. And... I couldn't boot into anything. All of a sudden, my screen, um, it appeared to be putting out some kind of an error message, but it looked like Braille, I guess, because because it looked, I, I honestly don't know what happened, but not even the lettering from the boot up would show correctly. So uh, what can I do here? Well, uh, the first, so interestingly enough, you're not the first person to report an issue uh, kind of like that. Uh, the first thing I have to ask is, have you tried uh booting with the no mode set uh inside of the bootloader inside grub yes uh, i have not so that might be one thing you can try here's the here's the uh, when when you say that uh, it looks really funny does it look really funny from even at the bootloader screen or does that seem to populate properly uh, the bootloader comes up fine. You know, it shows options even for 25, and I try to boot into that still, but it wouldn't work as well. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say what I would try is I would try booting with uh, no mode sets. Basically, what you're gonna do, Mike, if you're not if you're not familiar with with that process, basically what you do is when you're sitting at Grub, um, instead of actually choosing a boot option, you're gonna press the E key. E is an echo, and that's going to uh, let you edit the. I'm sorry, the what key, sir? E. E is an echo. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yep. And so, and what that's going to let you do, that's going to let you edit the boot parameters. And basically, there's going to be a lot of stuff. Doesn't necessarily matter if you understand all of it, but what you're looking for is uh, I always look for the word quiet. Uh, and uh, that's usually there inside of that kernel string. And you can you can go to the very very end of that and uh, and add and and put a space and then add the words no mode set all run together all one word and we'll have that in the show notes for you that's my first thing to try anytime i have weird graphical things with fedora now just out of curiosity um you don't happen to know if this is the first time you've tried running wayland actually that's a good question because didn't that change from 25 to 26 i i don't know when it turned on by default 
but I know that was a, a a recent thing, and I also know that a couple of the times that we've seen issues with uh, display things, it's been we just fall back to X. But of course, you have to be able to get into the graphical environment to begin with to you know to easily switch back to that. There's a way to do it from the CLI, but uh, the easiest way to do that is you know is just at the login screen. But if that if if that's not even loading properly, then you can't do that. Right. Yeah, so give no mode, no mode set uh, a chance, and I will look up the exact uh, details for how to uh, change from Wayland back to X. We'll see if that doesn't fix your problem as well. Architect is calling from Texas. Hi, Architect. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Nice to be talking to you again. Uh, just wanted to call in and uh, give you a quick rundown on the GPD pockets since I know that you were interested in those UMPCs. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, I am. I'm very interested. You have one, huh? Uh, yeah. It took a while to get here, but the Ubuntu edition was uh, was pretty nice. Um, though, uh, of course, me being me, I had to immediately try to put BSD on it. Um, but the only odd things to uh, to note about the uh, the GPD pocket is that the uh, the screen is mounted sideways, so you have to um, you have to actually rotate it 90 degrees uh, in X or in the console, depending on how you like to use your, your devices. And um, the Wi-Fi, I believe, is probably like a Broadcom chipset because it's not picked up by default, um, unlike you know Intel or Aetheros chipsets would be. Um, only other real thing of note was that the, uh, the internal EMMC is very slow to image with a, uh, a ZFS pool, but after that, it works fantastic. Okay, so when you so you ordered yours, your, yours actually came preloaded with Ubuntu, right? Yeah. Okay, and so and and so then you wiped off Ubuntu and you loaded uh, PCBSD. Uh, kind of. I, I loaded hardened BSD. I see. Uh, really getting interested into the security enhancements okay yeah sure uh and and so you said the only thing is that you have to rotate the screen huh so i mean that's really interesting so how do, how is the battery life uh it doesn't seem to be uh reporting properly through acpi so i can't get a, a good estimate on battery time because i also haven't been able to wear it down in any uh any standard settings where i've actually been able to time it Okay. Uh, so it should last you a full day if you're not doing anything too terribly uh, graphically extensive on it, or you know, compiling kernels all day. Gotcha. And uh, and uh, what what kind of things have you actually been able to do on the device? So, like for example, are you able to are you able to watch video, stream video, watch Netflix, edit you know graphics, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a standard Intel iGPU and just an Atom chipset, so. It's not the fastest thing out there, but it's very capable of doing whatever you need once you get that, that screen rotation fixed. Your opinion, it was worth the money? Uh, I can't remember exactly how much I paid for it, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty great buy. Fantastic. Uh, there's not, not many other laptops that you can actually shove in your pocket. No, there's not. And, you know, and this is coming from the days of the libretto, Toshiba libretto and, uh, of course, the, you know, the Palm Pilot days and stuff where we had computers that fully functional computers, not in the case of the Palm Pilot, but definitely in the case of the libretto. Um, I miss that. I really do. It was it was really fantastic. So I'm thank you very much for calling in to let me know about that. That's still on my uh, on my purchase list. There's a few things that uh, I'm 100 percent sure I'm going to own one day, but that is definitely one of them as soon as uh, time and budgetary constraints allow. Hey, guys, have you noticed how great those phone calls sound? Those last two, you, you listen to the past couple episodes and then listen to those fo two phone calls and how great those sounds. You know why? We have a brand new talk show system here in a brand new studio uh, that was graciously donated by Vox Telsis. Vox Telsis is our recommendation at Altaspeed Technologies if you're ever looking for SIP trunking uh, you know, or phone service. And so if you like the crystal clear quality that you're hearing on the air today, Thanks to Vox Telsis. Check them out at voxtelsis.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. All right. I want to take you back uh, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. I was uh, so I started Speed Technologies. We were working on doing 
you know, structured networking and, and all of this stuff. And eventually the structured networking and, and or st sorry, structured wiring and managed networking eventually led us to start doing, uh, you know, different kinds of cabling. So we'd have these, you know, fraternities that would say, well, we want you to come put in, uh, you know, a PA system. And, uh, and so we had one of those installs. And so we went out there and I sent the, the installers out and they went and put a PA system in for these guys. And they were having a dance that uh, Friday night and Saturday, I think it was. And Friday night, the installer showed, uh, uh, the, you know, earlier that week, they installed the, the PA system, gave them a rundown on how to use it. Friday night, they have this dance, and somebody dumps beer inside of this 4,000-watt crown amplifier and blew the thing up. And uh, they called us uh, on Saturday. They said, you know, we're, we're in a real hurt because we need to get this thing fixed, and somebody dumped beer into it, and it, it doesn't work anymore, and we don't know what to do. And we said, well, there's no real way that we can get that fixed. I mean, we can probably get it fixed, but we can't get it fixed tonight. Uh, and certainly it's not going to be covered under any type of warranty. Um, so you guys are just kind of out if you end up needing to buy a new amp. And they said, well, what are we going to do? Because we have this other party that's happening tonight. And I said, um, well, we have a rental amp that I will let you use. However, uh, given what the demise that became your first amplifier, the only way that I'm going to let you use it is if you pay one of our technicians to be there to operate the thing so we can make sure that you, uh, you know, raging alcoholics stay away from the, you know, the sensitive electronics. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that'd be great. So uh, without a lot of training, we sent one of our techs that was, he, he really, he was there as an installer to, you know, install this stuff and, and walk people through it. But because of that, you know, he had some basic training on, on audio knowledge and, and kind of how to connect the thing up because he was showing them how to use it. So he goes out to this fraternity and he hooks up uh, a laptop that we sent him out with. And um, he just, uh, I think he was just using a VLC and he was just, he was playing uh, different music tracks. And we had downloaded some of them off of Amazon and uh, turned out it was uh, really successful. And, and it was actually really nice for them having somebody who properly knew how to adjust levels and, and all of that stuff. So the next, uh, about three weeks later, they called us and they said, yeah, we got the amplifier back and, and we're really happy with it and everything's working great, but can we just hire you guys to start coming out and, and doing these parties for us? And so pretty much for the next couple of months, once a month, we would go out there and we would host, you know, host these parties for these guys. And uh, then they started talking to some of the sororities and they said, you know, we have these guys, they're coming out and they're hosting and they're, they're you know, they're playing this music for us. And by this time, we, I think we had downloaded Mix, uh, which is a free open source DJ software. And we were running it inside of this fraternity, and they had recommended that the sororities also hire us. So we'd gotten hired by a couple of them, and we'd come and done some of their events. And then the uh, the college system, they have this event where both, you know, a fraternity and a sorority, they both come together and they have this little formal dance thing. And they said, you know, would you come do that? And so we start doing those events. And, and pretty soon, before we know it, like within a year or so, pretty much every week we've got an event booked. Now, this is all run on consumer-grade hardware, second-hand consumer-grade hardware, just spare laptop that we had sitting around, spare amp that we had that we were using for rental and PA stuff. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, the guy that was doing this was like, you know, we really should buckle down. I mean, we're doing so many of these. We should actually go buy some equipment, actually do this right. So we went down to the local music store, and I said, um, you know, we don't have a I don't know what this is going to bring monetary-wise. I don't know how long this gravy train is going to last, you know, but we need some equipment. And so I explained the situation to the guy at the music store and he goes, I have these uh, eight can lights, uh, traditional incandescent lights, and uh, I will sell the whole thing to you with the Gator rolling case for a hundred bucks. Uh, and we said, yeah, sure. Yeah, great. That would be fantastic. So we bought the thing for a hundred bucks and uh, we, we beef up this laptop that we were using, the secondhand laptop. And uh, now we had a proper, or at least proper enough, music laptop, and we had these eight incandescent lights. We bought a DMX dimmer pack off of Amazon.com, had it overnight shipped to us. And if you're not familiar with what DMX is, DMX is a protocol that allows you to remotely, basically control and time turning power on and off and set the amount of power that goes to these lights. That's a, that's a very cr crass way of explaining it. But So we buy this $50 dimmer pack, we hook these lights up to it, and now uh, we can, this dimmer pack, we can automate these lights flashing. So they're all flashing. And so that added a little pizzazz uh, to, to these events. And as time went on, um, we start doing weddings and we start doing, um, you know, all these outdoor music festivals and, and you know, things, uh, you know, especially rural parts of, of the state, uh, you know, where they didn't have anyone. There wasn't, weren't DJs willing to come out there, at least not at a reasonable price. And we were. Um, and so we just kind of built the thing up. And eventually what we ended up doing was we found that there was a program 
called QLite Plus, QLC Plus, that could very specific, you could very specifically program these lights and make them do very specific things. I can make them go a specific color. I could make them flash. I could make them go completely out. I could make patterns, I, you know, all of these different things. Uh, and then we, we eventually added a fog machine and, and pretty soon, soon the thing grew. And uh, today, 2017, the most profitable venture that Altaspeed has ever done, and we make, don't get me wrong, the majority of our income still comes from uh, IT services by a long shot, but money that we have actually invested, money that we pay the people to do this stuff versus the amount of money that we take in, so the cost, you know, to expense ratio, the, the cost to profit ratio, nothing has been as wide of a spread at Altaspeed Technologies 2017 as our events business. Now, because of that, and because the event world is filled with newing, fla newer flashy lights, newer fog machines, newer automation, uh, and it's one of those things that I think that Linux does exceptionally well. There's a lot of things that you can shoehorn Linux into doing. Uh, there's a lot of things that just don't matter what operating system you're doing. And then there's some things that Linux just does so much better than the alternative operating systems that even somebody who has no bias at all, and I fully admit to having bias when it comes to desktop operating systems, even somebody that has no bias at all would choose Linux if they saw what Linux was doing as, comparison, as compared to the alternatives on macOS and Windows. And one of the gentlemen that I have been talking about toys and talking about ways to, to do these different things is Eric. Now, Eric joined us a couple weeks ago to talk about a new business that he's starting doing IT consulting. But what Eric has already been successful at and, uh, and made a name for himself is doing lights and sound. So welcome back to the program for the second time, Eric from Kansas City. How are you? How you doing, Noah? Hey, pretty good. So I want to start with this. How did you, I, I just kind of got through my story on how I kind of got, you know, into this world. You are kind of cut from the same cloth in that you're also doing IT stuff, and yet somehow you're also wind, wound up in the DJ world. Tell me the story. Well, I actually got into IT and lighting the, the opposite uh, way that you did. Uh, I, I had my full-time IT career and as a, as a Linux systems engineer, but uh, at at my church on the weekends, uh, I was kind of helping them get set up with a couple of computers and check-in kiosks and that kind of thing. And our worship uh, our worship pastor came to me and said, "Hey, you know, it's it's getting close to uh, it's getting close to Christmas time, and you know, some of our folks are burnt out. And it was it was a portable church. It's a it's a it was a church in a box essentially. Oh, interesting. We had a bunch of road cases and a trailer." and uh, a middle school gym so every sunday morning at 6 a.m we'd unload the trailers and uh and set up every cable every light every every speaker every microphone and then about one o'clock in the afternoon when we were done with services we tear it all back down and do it do it week in and week out so as you can imagine burnout was pretty high and uh so our worship pastor asked if i would mind uh, helping out was, was her exact word. <laughs> <laughs> We've <laughs> all so heard that. <laughs> I'm smart enough to right. I, I'm smart enough to run uh, run some cables. Just tell me where. And uh, so I I shadowed the audio team and the video team and ran camera a couple of times. And uh, the lighting designer uh, and I did uh, did my my weekend to shadow because they they wanted me to shadow each team and and kind of get an idea of what the production team did and. And uh, he happens to be a, a specialized software developer. So he, he was able to correlate lighting technology into IT technology, which I already understood. And, and DMX, the, the lighting protocol, the, the predominant lighting protocol, is, is nothing but, uh, nothing but a, a dumb network uh, uh, packet, essentially. And uh, so he was able to equate... Uh, equate terms and ideas in, in lighting to IT. So he and I hit it off, and, and, uh, and I really hit it off with lighting. And being a, a logically driven person, uh, I understood the technology. But uh, there's, there's another part of me that, that I discovered that was more creatively driven. And so it's, it's been this beautiful marriage between being a music junkie and, uh, and understanding technology that I got into doing lights on a regular basis. I became the the senior lighting designer for that church, and and uh, 
and, uh, and and more recently another church and and you know when you when your when your church doesn't exist but for a few hours on on a weekend it's hard to get in and play with the technology and and learn and and tear things apart and put it back together. So, oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I tried. Uh, I, I realized that there was other ways I could do this, and so I, I met a few different bands, and one of them was looking for a lighting guy, and, and uh, so they, they usually bought my dinner, and and if it was a big enough show, paid paid me a little bit of money to come in and run lights for them, and I just fell in love with this, uh, just the music and creating creating environments for people and eliciting emotion and songs. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun to do. And so after a summer with, with his band, I really realized that, you know, there's, there's a real need here. I mean, Kansas city is one of the fastest growing uh, music uh, venues in, in, in all of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my, my now wife and I decided to start a lighting business and we started marketing to, to bands and venues, and uh, uh, now <laughs> that was four years ago this week, actually. And, wow. and now here we are, four years later, and we've got uh, we've got a good client base, and we've got a good name across across town, and and uh, you know we're we're loving every minute of it. Fantastic! That's outstanding, man. I that is a great story. Yeah, and you know the the uh, the thing is that they don't tell you uh, when you get into this stuff is you know everyone you know they're like oh, I can play music. It's not the playing music. That's the easy part. That's the easy. You know it's you know it's hard is when it's two in the morning and people have consumed a lot of intoxicating beverages and, and you have not. And so you know you're of sound mind and this person comes up like I literally have. I we were doing a uh, we were doing an outdoor. Um, an outdoor venue thing, uh, music thing, and uh, this lady literally comes up to me, completely plastered, and goes, "Can you play that red, 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 redneck song?" And I knew what she was talking about b- because I listened to that. To, because I listened to the music, right? And you have to, like you said, you have to be a music junkie first. And if you're going to start playing with DMX, man, you have to understand and and love troubleshooting because. Uh, you know, once you get the hang of it, it's right. not so bad. But but for anyone that's not played with DMX, essentially. There are ten dip switches, and you—it's binary code, and so you—you—that's basically what it is. That is what it is. Not basically. That is what it is. Uh, and so you give an address in binary code using these ten dip switches uh, to every different light. And of course, if you have a light that has a red light and a blue light, you know, and a you know green light, and then also has. Um, you know, dip various intensities from zero to, to 255 or whatever, each one of those is a channel value. And so you have to, you can't just say, well, the first light is one and the second one is two. And no, it's the first one is one and the second one is like seven and the next one is like 13 because it depends on how many channels are in each one of the, it, and it just, it becomes ridiculously confusing, ridiculously fast. Uh, tell me this, you, I have gone very heavily software-based, like everything that we're doing is software-based. Now you're using a lot of very purpose-built hardware controllers. Tell me about that. Um, right. Uh, the uh, I, I also started out on uh, DMXs and uh, its bigger brother, uh, D-Pro, mm-hmm. and I've, I've used Chave Show Express and... Uh, I mean, a lot of those aren't aren't open source or anything, but uh, um, but they were. I, I have used them in the past, and, and what what really struck me was that you're dependent upon the reliability of the computer running underneath it, whether that's Windows or Mac, and there's nothing worse than I, I've had this happen on both platforms, on either Mac or on Windows, where the system decides to update or you know the the windows windows start menu crashes or something and all of a sudden you don't have control of any of your lights in the middle of the big dance number yeah um, so so it was the uh, so i'll just i'll I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll pause to tell you i have not experienced that and i run everything on linux but i will tell you a funny story when you finish <laughs> that I, where the same thing happened okay. so after that happened a couple of times and just the fact that being able to have a physical interface to actually feel yes when Buttons. you're pushing a fader up, you can actually feel the intensity increasing on your lights. Right, it's just so much easier to kind of feel your rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and t- 
to pretty much all the big tours and everything run off of physical dedicated consoles. Right. So I, I, about this time, I was starting to fall in love with, with Linux as, as more than just a, a server environment. So that was, that was kind of a factor. And I came across high-end systems. They are a lighting and control manufacturer that, that focuses on the uh, focuses on lights and um, and controllers and cables and that that sort of thing. And they're kind of the the entry level uh, professional grade console out there uh, because you can you can get consoles for you know the meager. Twelve thousand dollars a piece, or or yeah, you can get crazy and buy the ones for sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, but chump you're change. A poor startup. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so you need to you need to get in somehow. And so the the high end systems Hedgehog Four uh, was was kind of the answer. It was it was about six thousand dollars. It controls two universes, so that's two thousand forty eight channels or so, and uh, and gives you the the ability to have ten faders. Four, four spinning knobs, and and uh, and uh, from there. I tell you what, I'll I'll give you a second there to get your uh, to get your your smoke detector working there. I'll tell you, I'll I'll just share a funny story while we're waiting for him to uh, to come back. But basically, um, it was it was interesting. So I was doing a we were doing a show. It was a wedding actually. It was somebody's wedding, and um, we. We basically we went on site, and the 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 bride and the groom they insisted on having fog, and you don't try you try not to do fog uh, inside of public venues because it makes everyone really nervous, and it makes a lot of people upset, and uh, particularly fire marshal. And so we contacted the fire department. We said, you know, this is just that this is just part of the package. It's just something they got to have, and so we just got to do it. And they said, okay, you can have you can do fog. However, uh, because to do fog, I should back up and explain. To do fog, we have to shut the alarm system down. Uh, or the smoke alarm system will continually go off. So we contacted the fire department. We explained what we want to do. They said, you can shut the fire d- system down. However, during the time that it's shut down, you have to designate a person. And, and by designate, we don't mean like, oh, Joe, keep an eye in case there's something. No, you have to, somebody has to be on staff and that person needs to walk around the entire time during the event and ensure that nothing there is no fire there's no fire hazards said okay so we actually not one but two we hired two people had them on staff the entire time and they walked around and and did all this stuff so the the shutdown procedure was this ridiculously complicated push these buttons select these zones push this thing whatever and i have better things to do with my day than learn how to operate fire control systems that we're going to do once for this you know event so i'm there to shake hands and say i'm no i don't know to speed nice to meet you but the reality was i wasn't particularly invested in this you know in this event and uh and our director of operations was there and he was kind of spearheading the whole thing and um, and so he sat down with the we had the fire alarm system company come in. They showed us how to shut all this stuff down. And he was the one that had gone through it with him. So I sent him back. I said, go shut the fire alarm system down. We're going to test this. So we're, we're testing all this stuff. OK, everything works. Shut it down for the night. We're good. The fog machine. And Eric, I don't know if you're back with us now. The uh, the fog machine was on channel one. It was the very first channel of the DMX chain. And what nobody told me about DMX is, again, I'm not usually the one that plugs all this stuff in or sets this stuff up. What nobody told me about it is the last value that is sent to the universe, if the DMX controller becomes disconnected from the laptop, uh, the computer then loses track of where things have been. And if you shut the software down, it doesn't realize that, you know, whatever channels are on or on and what channels are off or off. So it just assumes everything is at, at the off state. I inadvertently somehow we still haven't exactly figured out what happened but somehow i i unplugged the the usb controller and that somehow before that happened had turned channel all of the channels on and up to full blast and fog comes pouring out of this commercial grade industrial fogger into the venue just fill, and, you know and, and so i immediately freak out i run to the front desk uh and there's you know there's people in the in, in the event lobby and stuff like that and I'm, I'm sat in the back and i'm on the phone with my director of operations and i'm like please answer please answer how do i shut the alarm off how do i shut the alarm off and he's walking me through press this zone press this thing let's do that and, I, and i'm hitting it. i'm just waiting for you know the whole thing to go out and this whole event this whole venue to be evacuated because i unplugged a usb cable so all that to say, I understand exactly what you're talking about when you say if it's running on a physical piece of hardware, if it's running on a dedicated controller, something that's built from the ground up and cost a lot of money to do it well, that's always a 
that's always a you know that's always the the, the preference and that that's kind of what you're getting with this hog four right right and first off sorry my uh my wife's cooking in our nest our, our nest alarm system doesn't typically like her cooking <laughs> for some reason <laughs> but uh i've i've had that very same issue and uh and, and it could have been some sort of a highlight function or you know a macro that, that went haywire i mean it could be any any number of things and that's that's not something you're immune to with with a dedicated console but uh, with with the with the Hedgehog Four, one of the nice things is that uh, it, it's a dedicated Linux kernel. Granted, it's it's stripped down, and uh, and you know only the absolute essentials are, are running on it. But uh, um, it is it is a Linux kernel, and they've got their software running on the top, and it's basically a GUI interface to uh, abstract the the 255 uh, point values of of you know the thousand twenty four channels or whatever that you may be running, and uh, uh, so I've seen a lot more stability. I've seen a lot better. Uh, the effects engine is a lot better. So when when you're doing a pan chase across the audience, you can you, you can have more fine control over it than than I've had luck with the uh, with software uh, installs on on Mac or Windows or Linux, and uh, you know, it's and, and there's there's also you know, in, in the industry, there's there's definitely a coolness value that you have to take into account with with your business, and uh, having a dedicated hardware console has definitely opened up some doors that otherwise wouldn't be uh, wouldn't wouldn't be possible. Sure, yeah, you look like you look like a lighting guy. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay, so tell me about this, uh, Eric. I understand that uh, out of all the people that they could have picked to design this uh, NHL lighting system, uh, turns out they picked you and your company. Tell me about that. That's got to be exciting. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's definitely helpful to have have some, some history and, uh, and a good reputation because what happened was one of the big production companies here in town that handles all the big events uh, was was short on guys last week. Um, all all their lighting designers were were out on on other events. So they called one of the other uh, one of the other companies here in town, who also didn't have anyone available uh, for for last week. And uh, but I happened to freelance with them several times a year. Uh, there's events like there's an Irish Fest. There's a a Plaza Art Fair. You know, big stages with. Uh, with tons of, of local local and regional talent. And and so, you know, people don't need to necessarily staff full time lighting guys for the five or six weekends where they where they do these festivals. So they lean heavily on, on freelancers and that's that's more or less how I got my start. So uh, so the second company actually called me and said, Hey, are you available? And uh, and so they, they gave me a referral and and uh, so last Thursday, um, I was actually at uh, Sprint Center here in downtown Kansas City, running uh, a small lighting package for a St. Louis Blues uh, National Hockey League game. Wow, cool! That that was definitely my my largest venue, and uh, it it was a lot of fun to to get to walk around behind the behind the scenes and. And get to to listen on the on the comms as, as the video director was calling out different shots and, and and you know making all the lights go crazy when when somebody would score. It was it was a really exciting experience. Oh, that's fantastic, man! Well, I'm glad things are taking off for you, not only uh, just in the uh, Linux IT consulting world, but also in the lighting world. And and you are definitely a pleasure to talk to. And uh, we at the Ask Noah Show wish you all the best of luck. And thank you so much for taking the time to come with us and share your story. Definitely, I appreciate it. People want to find out more about uh, your uh, your Linux powered hardware and 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 your, uh, your IT services, or both. Where can they go? Uh, the IT consulting business is at uh, IT Guys KC, and then the lighting business is at B Light KC B E L I G H T KC. Um, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and both of those businesses have uh, websites as well. Outstanding. Thanks so much, Eric. We really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, you know, one quick point I want to make uh, before we move on is we we're talking about embedded systems and the differences between embedded systems and computer systems. I, I want to take I want to point something out. So he's talking about how there is a Linux kernel on this uh, embedded system. 
And what you find, and, and I've seen this over and over and over in industry, and it, it's been kind of interesting to try to square this with what I see in the community side of, of Linux. You basically, you find these companies like this, you know, very expensive $6,000 lighting controller, and it runs a dedicated Linux kernel, and everyone pretty much accepts that that is a very stable system. Do you know how they got that stable system? They took the very minimum part of the Linux operating system necessary to run, they stuck it in this device, they stripped out all of the external variables so that it's only running one piece of software, and the only updates they ever provide to this box are the updates that have been carefully screened and tested over and over and over by a team before being released to uh, you know this thing. So I promise you the kernel in that thing is old by our standards, okay? And what you achieve from that is ultimate reliability. And then we have all these goobers that are out there that go and take these these systems and they, you know, they, they not only just install the base operating system, but they install every package under the sun and they make every tweak under the sun known to man. And then they, uh, you know, and, and they, they goof with the themes and they goof with the everything. They, they monkey with it. And then they go. Well, it just turns out Linux just isn't really that stable. It's just, you know, it just, it crashed on me. I just, you know, this thing crashed. Well, yeah, because you monkeyed with it. You, you screwed with it. And it, there is no possible way that every, you know, every software manufacturer, every software developer can work with every other software developer to make sure that everything works perfectly unless, you know, that's been in a tested environment. So you have to, you have to choose. Uh, do you want to be on the bleeding edge and play with everything that's the latest and greatest or we call lag syndrome around here? Do you want to do that? Or do you want ultimate reliability? And if you want ultimate reliability, you take one machine and you give it one task and let it do that one task very, very well. Or if you're going to have a uh, do it multiple things, make sure that you have thoroughly tested those multiple things so that we know that all of those things work. Anyway, sorry, I, I got off a little bit on a rant, but that is just one of those things that, as Eric was talking, I just, I was, I was kind of, the, the gears were turning in the back of my mind, and I'm like, I have seen this play out, and I, I think it's something that, that's really interesting. Uh, I am going to butcher your name, my friend, and I am so sorry. Is it Skicken from Tuscan, Arizona? <laughs> it's uh, Shicken. It's Chicken. Oddly spelled. <laughs> okay, tell me about that. I gotta, I gotta ask. Tell me about that. What, what, what heritage is that? Oh, it's not. It's just, uh, it's just my handle. It's actually a really lame sort of um, story. <laughs> okay. Well, no worries. Okay. Well, uh, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. How can we help? Thank you. I uh, actually, I had some uh, curiosity point. Uh, I was wondering what your favorite part. Um, in in regards to cross project collaboration was in in New York City at the uh, Ubuntu rally. Yes, uh, great question. Um, so for those of you who don't know, last week we were live from New York City, New York, and we were attending the Ubuntu rally. The Ubuntu rally is essentially a conference, but it's a conference for canonical employees. So they all meet together and they talk, and they they and they bring in outside people. So they the people from Dell were there and. Um, you know, people from Microsoft were there, people from the Skype project, from the .NET team, people from Electron were there. And basically the idea was, uh, how do we, how, how, how can we fix some of these things and can we get these people in the same room so that when I just got a message on my Linux machine that said that uh, the version of Skype I was using was out of date. And uh, I know for a fact that the Skype team was me was meeting with the the people from the Snap Snap team so that we could make a snap of of Skype. So I don't have that problem anymore. And the only way that actually happens, right, is if either Microsoft uh, meets brings people from Canonical in that know everything there is to know about Snaps, or if Canonical brings people from Microsoft, the people who know everything about Skype. And uh, in this particular case, it was Canonical that uh, extended the first hand to all of these people and brought them all in. What was my favorite part? My favorite part, I guess, was I was I was really I was privy to some very interesting discussion. And the discussion there was concrete discussion of things that are happening in Canonical that that proved to me without a shadow of a doubt that Canonical is taking the desktop Linux uh, ecosystem more seriously than ever before. They are doubling down on their effort to bring a world-class desktop operating system to their users, and they are going about it in a transparent, uh, transparent and open way that that we haven't seen from from any company really in in 15 years. I mean, it is it is 
mind-blowingly amazing their insight and their foresight and their ability to plan and they have anticipated all of these problems and already come up with solutions they are solving problems five years down the road that you and i haven't even thought of and it was it was only because i was able to sit in that room and listen to them talk about where we are today where we're going to be in three years what problems we're going to have in three years and how they're going to solve those before we ever hit five years i mean it's just just absolutely mind-blowing I would say that that sort of that fascinating it was and you know the other thing is too and I was just talking to Chris about this earlier today um, you know we have a unique opportunity as uh, a trusted because not a lot of people were invited to this event Um, it was they they hand selected some carefully selected uh, media people who they knew would respect the privacy if 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 asked to who would stay out of the way from from actually from these people actually trying to get work done, but at the same time would shed some light on what it is Canonical is doing and how they're doing it to better the community. And um, we got done, and we have an interview that's going to play later in the show. Chris has has done a fantastic job of collecting video footage that he's going to publish in his video weblog. Uh, and the problem is that neither of us uh, are real confident in 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 what the reception is going to be. A lot of you know we're we're talking about it, and you know the thing is the community reacts a lot stronger to negative conversation. If we went there or we went anywhere really and said these people are doing a terrible job, and here's why, everyone would like that video. Everyone would share that video. Everyone would talk about that video. But when we go to these places and we say, man, these people they are knocking it out of the park. They are doing such a fantastic job. Uh, and and they are doing such a such they are they are fixing so many problems and collaborating in such you know in such great ways, and the reality is that both him and I have this you know thing in the back of our minds that says nobody's going to really care nobody's going to really care that really great cool things are happening because it's not drama, and that's kind of disappointing. So I guess proof, that's rough. It is, but you know what? Everyone that's listening to the show right now has an opportunity to prove both him and I wrong. Share, uh, take a look at his video weblog and make sure to call it a video weblog. Write that all out uh, because it drives him nuts. <laughs> he just, he, he keeps, uh, he ca- he gave me a hard time because I think I called it a vlog and he's, and he's like, oh, vlog, it's vlog. And I'm like, okay, fine, fine. You want to expand it out? It's a video weblog. So make sure to call it a video weblog, but uh, share that and tweet it and talk about it and learn from what it is that we experienced there and encourage other people in the media and encourage other companies to have positive interactions and make big changes. Because I'm telling you guys, I was there for three days and in three days I saw more collaboration and more planning and more answers to problems that we as desktop Linux users are suffering from right now. They are solving those. They were solving those problems while we were there. And I think that I, I really think that th- that needs to be met with with a positive attitude. And if, if it's not, uh, then there's not a lot of incentive for those companies to continue doing things like that. And there's not a lot of incentive for uh, for us to cover it. Uh, man, the, the names, the names, the names, the names this hour. Uh, Abuti from Idaho. Am I saying that right? I hear an echo. Hi. Hey. Am I saying yeah. your Am I saying your name right, or is that a screen name? Uh, no, that's just. Don't worry about it. I've called him before, you know. Uh, anyhow, I'm just just wondering if if Blu-ray is a thing yet in Linux. Oh yeah, Blu-ray is definitely a thing. In fact, I uh, I rip. I have a uh, my favorite Blu-ray drive is the LG drive. Um, it's the I have two of them. I have one that's a USB one and one that's a PC or a. Uh, uh, SATA drive, uh, and both of them work fantastic. I uh, I've ripped Blu-rays using Brasserio. I've ripped Blu-rays using K3B, and I rip Blu-rays uh, using uh, Make MKV. So yeah, no Blu-rays definitely work great in Linux. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Chaz is calling from New York. Hey Chaz from Northern New York. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey Noah, I'm glad you got back safe to uh, good old Grand Forks. Yes, sir. How can we help? Well, I had a question for you. This actually goes back to two user errors ago, but I didn't want to call in last week because I didn't want to disrupt coverage of the rally. Um, There was uh, an ask error about the Linux technology that you were most interested never really went anywhere, and there was talk of Steam machines. Now, 
I've always thought that Linux missed a big opportunity during the Windows 8 debacle to supplant Windows as the primary gaming uh, operating system. So I'm kind of wondering what your thoughts on are on that are. Did they miss an opportunity? Do you think that they ever have an opportunity to become you know big in the gaming space again? And what needs to happen to get more than just you know the Half-Life 2 and Portal 2 and Valve games uh, on Linux? I, de- I definitely think they missed an opportunity. I, I'm not always uh, convinced that it's, it's, it's necessarily their fault. Here's, here's the problem. Um, the Part of the problem is that they are somewhat dependent on the game manufacturers, right? And so if the, if the game manufacturers don't port their games, then you know Valve doesn't really have a lot of say in it. But here is, here is the advantage had they pushed harder on this whole Steam Machine thing. They could have very easily competed in in the console world. If you if you, I have a lot of friends that are in the console world, and inside of that world, uh, Xbox kind of reigns king, and then PlayStation Two is under that, and then everything else is kind of below that. Unless you're like a, a retro game person, then you probably are big into the Wii because you can still play Mario. Um, but but they the, the the Xbox, a lot of the games that are on Xbox, a lot of the the A one titles are also played on PC. And so if Steam would have been able to successfully convince these game manufacturers to start pulling their games over into, you know, Steam OS, and now Steam can, and now Valve could sell these Steam boxes or partner with Dell and all the other hardware places that could, that could sell these, you know, game consoles, it would not only would you begin to compete with the Xbox market, but you would also exist in a market that, that nobody has existed in before. And that is the gaming by convenience. So for example, I am never going to buy a game console because I don't care. I just don't have time to play games. That said, if I could have a very powerful box to replace my NVIDIA Shield that could do all the things that the NVIDIA Shield did, except also it could play, you know, Counter-Strike and stuff like that. Heck yeah, I'd buy one of those. So I I, yeah, I, I do think they kind of missed the ball. Um, I don't think that that ship has entirely sailed yet. I think if they decided to jump on that horse, they could pretty much compete uh, any time they wanted to jump back in. Um but I, I think I, I think they it, it, it seems pretty clear that that doesn't seem to be something they are pursuing, although it, it doesn't seem like Steam for Linux has dropped any support lately. So, I mean, that's good. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it definitely does. And it's pretty much on point with what I've always thought, you know, it being kind of the penguin and the egg in terms of uh, games versus market for games. And uh, I was just thinking the other day how if I could have just a, a PC that ran Steam OS and played all the games I wanted and could watch, you know, the few Blu-ray movies that I have left, that would be the ultimate. But they got some work to do before they get that gets to that point. Yeah, boy, I, you're, you're telling me. Well, I, I really, I hope they, uh, I hope they figured out. I, I really, I was really a fan of the, um, I was really a fan of the the Steam 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 box, and I was I really would have looked forward to actually owning one of those, but. Eh, maybe someday. Chris is calling from North Carolina. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Hey, how can we help? Yeah, so I work at a um, a local sheriff's office here in North Carolina, and I, I got an idea of sharing some information between different divisions here at the sheriff's office and maybe some other agencies around. Okay. And, and what I wanted to know from you is, a suggestion for a digital signage solution that uh, that I could control locally, either software or over the web, yes. and what that kind of setup would look like if you was to do it. Yeah, sure. Uh, for that is those are the kind of things where I really think things like Raspberry Pis fit in perfectly. Um, and there's actually a project called Screenly. It's screenly.io, and I'll have a link for you in the show notes. But basically, uh, you flash the image onto a Raspberry Pi, and for 35 bucks, you can stick these boxes on a bunch of different computers and uh, and have them available and, and display digital signage. How's that for an answer? Uh, that's a great answer. That's what I was actually looking at was the Raspberry Pis. But um, what uh, is there a software solution out there that, um, that you're aware of that, that works really good for Raspberry Pis? Yeah, the software is called Screenly, and I, I will have a link for you in the show notes. But uh, basically, it's just an image that you uh, you flash onto the Raspberry Pi, and uh, and then you can update. I, I do want to tell you, though, as far as managing locally, keep in mind, one of the... I'm here with Jerry Bowman. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, the uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that the advantage of digital signage is that you can you can manage it from one place and then all of them, uh, you know, uh, uh, update and, and and display. All right, I want to play an interview from when we were out at the Ubuntu rally. I'm here with Jerry Boland, and we are talking about Mir today. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Thanks very much. So I guess a little historical cons is good to know. Um, Mir started off, I guess, when Wayland hadn't progressed a lot in the open source world. It, it, it existed a long time as a project, but no desktop had really embraced it fully. There were initial plans to adopt us as the Linux Desktop Foundation, but nothing ever really happened for a long time until we're pushing it. But not a lot. We didn't see much momentum. So we were considering, should we contribute to Wayland or maybe we should do our own thing? Um, what are the advantages and disadvantages of Wayland? And we found there were a couple of issues with Wayland that we were not terribly happy about. The fact that it's just a basic protocol, like it's a bunch of XML specs, mm. that's frustrating because most like application developers and most shell developers want an API to work with. Mm that might be stable as opposed to a protocol that can move around and maybe it'll be versioned and then maybe there'll be differences between well this application has these extensions to the protocol this shell doesn't support those what happens next and it becomes a little bit messy so the idea of Mir was we will deliver APIs to application toolkit developers and shell developers and then we'll worry about everything in between of course we will do all the things that a display server does so we will work with the hardware so we will we um, intended it to work on as much display hardware as possible, so it would work on all the Linux drivers, and it would also work on the Android-based stuff as well. So that was the foundation for the Ubuntu phone. We needed to work with all the Android-based drivers. And then all the inputs, we need to get the inputs working, so touchscreens, mouse, joysticks, all those bits and pieces. And then there's a lot of other important little bits and pieces that have to just be done. And we were always frustrated that Wayland was just a protocol. If you actually wanted to bring something up, you had to write all the hard code yourself. You had to work with DRI, KMS. You had to figure out lib, in, like lib input didn't exist when we started either. So you had to talk to all these bits and pieces and figure it all out yourself, and that's an awful lot of work. Mm -hmm. So today, we've seen that um, Mutter, the GNOME project, has done very well. They have done all this work themselves. Mm -hmm. Kwin as well has done that. It's mm -hmm. taken them many years, but now it's in a great place. The Ubuntu phone didn't work out, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and that caused us to reevaluate the value of Mir. There was just too much of a great tide supporting Wayland on the desktop, so it wasn't worth our while really pursuing that. Mm -hmm. um, that caused us to descope Mir quite a lot, but Mir still has advantages. The fact that it still works well on Android and Linux is useful. Mm -hmm. The fact it's quite lightweight, it doesn't assume a toolkit, it's C pure C++, that's quite valuable. Mm -hmm. But there were issues with it still, the fact that it doesn't support the Wayland protocol is the big one. Mm -hmm. So we've recently announced that we're adapting Mir to implement the Wayland protocol. So it will be a Wayland display server. So it will work with existing toolkits that have Wayland adoption built in. Mm -hmm. And um, we're slowly expanding that. It's still early days, but we're, we're building it out. And so sh it should be comprehensive enough. But it'll still be a lightweight shell implementation for shell authors to adopt if they like. So for, as you were saying, lightweight desktops like XFCE, Mate, Budgie, they might prefer to use a lighter shell toolkit that we've built mm -hmm. as opposed to the pre-existing ones, which are quite a bit larger, like the Mutter or the Kwin. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of one place that we envision Mir hopefully being useful still in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, we care a lot about IoT with our snappy story, and we're trying to embrace um, uh, device manufacturers to that who want to use your interface for their product. And if they want a touch screen, or if they just want a little LCD screen that shows status, they're gonna need something to drive their hardware. Mm -hmm. So Miro's slotting quite well there. And we have kind of designed Mir to kind of integrate well in the Snappy ecosystem. So there's a Mir Snap, you install that, and then you put your little application on top, and boom, that works. And so the, the reason then to just not use Mir in GNOME is because GNOME is so heavily tied to Wayland? Pretty much, yeah. Like, and also the fact that the community had just said we're using Wayland on desktops. Mm -hmm. We can't go against that. We won't. So we adopt. We decided, since we dropped Unity, to adopt the GNOME ecosystem again, and therefore we will adopt Wayland. So there was a bit of controversy over that. We weren't sure if Wayland was quite ready yet to be turned on. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of testing. There's so many different types of hardware that 
um, capabilities does Wayland perfectly suit them? There's all these smaller issues like um, different input methods. Will they work different languages? Will their input keyboard stuff work? Um, accessibility features, are they there? There's all these little things that X has been doing in the background for years that Wayland is only still early adopting yet. They have like unstable protocols to find, but nothing has really been solidified. Each different shell implementation has different um, say qualities of that implemented. Some bits are missing, some bits are not there. Some protocol extensions have been added on to kind of fill in those gaps. But we found that the GNOME implementation is probably the best one that we can take, mm -hmm. and um, we're happy to embrace that and hopefully work with them and improve it. So based on what you're telling me, um, and my understanding is that Wayland is going to ship default mm -hmm. in 1710. That's right. Do you, do you foresee uh, any major problems, and what is going to be the answer if, there, if it turns out that you know, that's really difficult? Is the answer to what? Good question. We're n I guess um, the reason that we're turning it on now, well, one of them, in my estimation, is that um, it's a good testing ground for it. So 17.10 is not an LTS. Um, we tend to get more devoted users adopting the non-LTS revisions mm -hmm. because they want to get the newer stuff and they want to test it and see what it's like. So if we release it and then we get some negative feedback, then we may reconsider the decision to use Wayland for mm -hmm. default for the LTS in six months after. Um, there are issues that we are aware of, for instance, the NVIDIA proprietary driver um, with their EGL stream stuff. Um, Mutter has implemented support for that, but I don't think X Wayland has implemented support for that. I'm not sure. Um, I'm being looked at as if I'm wrong. <laughs> but um, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, I'm not sure, but it remains a few open questions as to how many things Wayland can do exactly right. And we will only find that out by people using it in the real world, giving us feedback, and then we can make a decision from there. 1710 goes out with Wayland. If it doesn't work, what do we roll back to? Because X is being discontinued. We know that at that point, Wayland isn't, well, I mean, it's over time is, I mean, X is eventually going away. Mm. Uh, over, and, and at the moment, we, at that point, you would have data points to tell you that Wayland isn't ready, at least at, at, at scale for production. So yeah. what is, where do we go from there? Well, X is not being deprecated entirely. Like the long-term goal probably would be to mm. deprecate X, but X is still around. There's still a lot of development on it and it's not going away. And so we may have to revert back to X for the LTS. Mm -hmm. LTS, the main priority for us is that it's stable and solid and then people can use it every day without having to worry about stability or functionality issues. So that may be an unfortunate choice, but we'll have to see. Mm -hmm. We're just going to release 17.10 and hope for the best. The Fedora team, obviously, they have a lot of Wayland users on GNOME, but by contrast, Canonical has, I mean, you're talking, what, hundreds of thousands of users? Mm. When we start talking about Canonical and Ubuntu proper, now we're talking millions and millions of users. So the, the data that's going, that you're going to have access to that's going to come in with the 1710 release is going to provide us more real, real world data than we've probably ever had uh, with the default desktop being um, Wayland. Talk about that and talk about how that's going to affect your decisions. Right. Um, due to the fact, uh, so, as you said, a huge number of users. The more users you have, probably the more exotic the requirements may be or the mm -hmm. more disparate they may be. Um, that will be very valuable because it's probably one of these like 90% of people will be happy, but it's that 10%. But 10% of what number? 10% of 100,000? Not so big. 10% of 10 million? That's a lot more. That's a lot more than very exotic bugs coming in that are still important. Um, and so we're going to have to address them, and we're going to have to figure out how many exotic issues are there. Can we fix them in time for the LTS? Or maybe we can't. Maybe we'll have to wait until after the LTS to revisit the full Wayland-based desktop again. So it really is, yeah, the numbers, how much feedback we get, and how good or bad it is. It, yeah, it's going to be a waiting game. Time will tell us. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much for your time. If people want to learn more about what's going on with Canonical, with Wayland, with Mir, what the cool things that Mir is doing to be an abstraction layer, are you personally working? They go. Um, where should they go? Good question. Um, our IRC channel is usually one of the best places. Ubuntu Desktop and Freenode is one of the best places to find out what's mm -hmm. going on. That's where all the hot news is coming, popping up, and that's where we all chat and discuss. I'd recommend that as a good place. Outstanding. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks very much for having us. 
and and that's going to bring us right to the end of the program. But thanks so much for everyone for uh, for being here and joining me on the air. We appreciate it. Hope this sounded a little bit better than it has in the past. Before we get out of here, I want to thank uh, Sarah, our call screener, Ben, our producer, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint coming up next on KEQQ, Mogos Radio 88.3, LPFM, Grand Forks. <laughs>